Hello and welcome to today's event. We're delighted that you can join us today. We're going to be discussing AI, artificial intelligence, and we're joined today organizing this conference by the Open Society European Policy Institute and European Digital Rights Organization. Now, AI means different things to different people from algorithmic decision-making to machine learning and even predictive text on your phone. And Hollywood movies, of course, from 2001, A Space Odyssey to The Terminator have taught us that we need to be afraid of this technology, which isn't really the case, at least not for the reasons those films suggest. Unfortunately, all our concerns should be based on what the humans behind the technologies are doing. The danger really is that those who are worst off in society, the really disadvantaged, end up even worse off. So the EU is trying to regulate this to prevent systemic injustice. And we here in Europe pride ourselves on exporting laws. The General Data Protection Regulation, the GDPR, is often cited as a prime example of the rest of the world following our lead. But that just puts even more pressure and more responsibility on us to make sure that we are exporting the right laws. Now, the AI Act is going to try and tackle a lot of the systemic problems we talk about. But is it doing it in the right way? That's the question we're going to be asking today with a focus on social justice and anti-discrimination. So we have a great lot of panels lined up for you today. We're going to be going through to four o'clock this afternoon. My name's Jennifer Baker. I'm a tech policy journalist, and I'll be your moderator today, putting your questions to our panelists in those various sections. So make sure you write them down in the chat box and Keep them clear, keep them succinct, and if they're for a specific panelist, please do say that so that we can know who to direct your questions at, because we really want this to be a wide-ranging discussion where we try and come up with solutions to the problems rather than just identify the problems, although, of course, we will try to do that as well. But that's enough for me to open up our event today. I'm going to hand over to Pamela Valenti, who is the Senior Associate Policy Officer at the Open Society European Policy Institute, and she is one of the organisers of today program, Pamela. So over to you. Tell us why it's so important, what's happening at EU level, and why is it the, these issues so important to us? Thank you, Jen, for the great introduction and to the entire Euroactive team for hosting us today. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us to discuss how the regulation on artificial intelligence should address discrimination and surveillance in Europe. My name is Pamela Valente, and I work on digital policy at the Open Society European Policy Institute the EU policy and advocacy arm of the Open Society Foundations in Brussels. OSF is one of the largest private foundations supporting groups and individuals all around the world to promote justice, human rights, and inclusive democracy. We are organizing this conference today together with European Digital Rights, a long-standing partner of the Open Society Foundations and the biggest network of NGOs working to advise digital rights in Europe. You will hear more about Adrian from Sarah and Claire in the second half of the conference, but let me thank you all already for being here on behalf of both organizers. We are here today to understand whether the rules that the European Commission has set out in the Artificial Intelligence Act are enough to protect fundamental rights, especially when we look at the rights of those in our society who suffer from racial discrimination and systemic injustice. 2022 is a watershed moment for the regulation of technology. The draft AI regulation, which is said to be the first binding legal framework on the use of artificial intelligence across Europe, is currently being discussed and negotiated both in the Council of the EU and in the European Parliament. The Commission proposals that came out last April already prohibited some of the most dangerous uses of AI, 
and set out requirements for other uses that are considered as high risk. Now is the time for the co-legislators to go further and to decide on what more needs to be done in order to protect people from discrimination and injustice. Artificial intelligence and automated technologies are increasingly used in areas of the public sector, such as law enforcement, policing, employment, social welfare, and migration. However, none of these technologies is neutral or scientifically objective. Organizations like EDRI and many other partners of the Open Society Foundations have long investigated how pre-existing biases and discrimination become hardwired into artificial intelligence and how this technology in return often perpetuates and amplifies systemic racism and structural discrimination that already oppress the most marginalized in the offline world, such as racialized communities, people on the move, LGBTQIA plus people, persons with disabilities, and people from the working class. Our intention today is to bring together civil society and policymakers with those who have a lived experience of technological discrimination and surveillance to discuss how the regulation on artificial intelligence can be improved to deliver fundamental rights and social justice for all. The four panels today will address some of the core issues at the heart of this debate. The first one will look into discriminatory uses of AI by law enforcement in new member states. Speakers will discuss why profiling and predictive technologies mostly target people from racialized communities and the working class, and will outline how the regulation on artificial intelligence should be changed to safeguard the right to fair trial and the presumption of innocence in policing and criminal justice. The second panel will look at the situation of gig drivers and couriers whose work is managed and controlled by algorithms, and will discuss the impact of automated management on workers' rights and social protection in the platform economy. The panel will also explore how social welfare is increasingly allocated and distributed through profiling tools, predictive technologies, and scoring systems, and will assess the impact of this automation on people in need of social support. The third panel will instead show us how countries in the European Union are experimenting with migration management technologies on asylum seekers and people on the move. These technologies are tested and used on migrants for the purpose of data mining and border enforcement, with no meaningful consideration for people's lives and rights. Our speakers will also discuss how these technologies play out specifically for undocumented people and whether the regulation on AI does enough to protect their fundamental rights. Finally, the last panel will draw lessons from the previous discussions and assess how the European Union should position itself in this debate in order to protect human rights and social justice through the Artificial Intelligence Act. We are thrilled to welcome such an exciting group of speakers today, and we look forward to hearing directly from them. But before passing the floor to Jennifer to kickstart the discussion without further ado, let me thank my colleague Mariana Liana Donaki from Ozepi and Tamara Novel and Elisa Column from Your Active for making this event possible in the first place. Thank you very much, Jen. Over to you. Thank you very much, Pamela. That's a, a great introduction to our day. As you say, those panels that we're going to look at, the, the three thematic panels, are really very key areas where we do see discrimination happening. And also, as you pointed out, targeting the most vulnerable, which is, of course, something we want to address. So with that, I'm going to introduce you to our first panel. We're talking about discriminatory surveillance in law enforcement and criminal justice. Now, this is an area where, of course, private individuals have very little re-comeback. Re I mean, we have the laws to allow redress, but they are at the end of this 
chain of, of, of legal terms and, and legal situations. So at the end of the day, this is something that really can impact on everyone because you do not know when you may be the subject of injustice. But we're going to look at those who are most vulnerable. We're going to look at systemic problems in the justice system across the EU. And of course, we'll draw examples from around the world as well. First of all, let me introduce Diana Sarjo, a mother whose child was targeted by risk modelling and profile systems used by the Amsterdam police. And as a result, she took matters into her own hands and founded an NGO. The mother is the key. I won't say it in, in Dutch because my Dutch is terrible, but thank you very much, Diana. I know that your platform is for mothers and care professionals to share their experiences and to try and create an inclusive support system for at-risk youth. Now, Laure Bordier-Gérard is the legal director for Europe of Fair Trials, which is an international human rights NGO that campaigns for fair and equal criminal justice systems. And in September 2021, last year, Fair Trials published Automating Injustice, a report that examined the AI, the use of artificial intelligence systems in criminal justice in Europe, how they were created, what they're used for, and their direct impact on people and rights. And again, we look further afield as well to draw examples from around the world on where these systems can go wrong. And last, but by no means least, we are very pleased to jo have joining us from the European Parliament, Bernardo Barena Arza, who is with the left, the GUE group in the Parliament. He's a member of the Committee of Civil Liberties, the LIBA Committee, and a substitute member in the Special Committee on Artificial Intelligence in a Digital Age, the AIDA Committee that we will hear referred to a lot during today. Thank you all very much for being with us. Diana, let me start with you. Tell us about your experiences, your motivations, and uh, what you would like to see in the law that's forthcoming, because at the end of the day, that is what we want to see come out of today's discussions, some real suggestions. Well, thank you, Jennifer, for having me. Um, yeah, my experience, my, I didn't realize I was targeted, my son's neither. And the moment I realized it is after it all happened to me, I start thinking from how did my sons get on the list? Who, who is the one who's, who's deciding that my son is on the list? Because they say, yeah, he, he's this, he's that. But I started to think from how did he get there? So I started to do my own research and I have a back, banking background. And so numbers is my thing. So I start searching for reports and I was reading those reports and I said that, that something ain't right because the numbers didn't add up in my head. And I started looking for it and started to translate the numbers to my real life because I know the use of algorithm, but I only knew using it in a bank and those kind of stuff. I didn't know they were using it at people. And in in real life we people from uh from low from let's say how do you say from areas where a lot of uh different cultures are together they don't stand a chance they will be targeted the children are targeted from baby because first you go to to get their shots they they decide um how your baby's growing is he growing fast enough things like that, and it all adds up. They go to school, they, they ask you questions like, parents, do you speak Dutch? Um, if you say, yeah, I speak Dutch. Then they say, where are your parents from? Where's the grandmother from? So all this information gets into a system. And if you if your child doesn't fit in what they uh, designed from this is the perfect child, you're already at risk. And if it's your, your social status, if you're single mom, 
if you have a black background and things like that. And the first thing start when my son was 11 and he was coming home from uh, a friend and I was watching out of the window and I saw a group of white young kids walking and making noise, things like that. And my son was walking alone and they stopped him and they asked him for papers. I'm like, I was yelling out the window, he's only 11. But I didn't know that that was the first encounter they registered. And after that, I saw more things happening, but I, I was like from now, you know, uh, it will it will go. And then it started to get worse and worse. It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy because they create circumstances for those boys that they will commit petty crime and that will be registered. And then they already have a high risk profile. And that was the craziest stuff that I ever met. I was like, something ain't right. You know, you can beat, you know, artificial intelligence cannot beat a mom's intuition. I stand by that. And we kept, we, I kept searching. I was like, yeah. So I started the foundation after my whole, my whole period. I was thinking from how did they get to the, to the information from the boys? Where did they get it from? because some of the boys don't stand a chance and they were not even fitting the profile of a boy of the 400 or the 600. But somehow somebody is providing this information before they get there. So I learned about ProKid and ProKid is when the police is making a report about uh, your child when he, he gets an encounter with the police. And I started to ask him for my uh, files and uh, I wanted to know what's in it. And if I knew this before, I would be more consistent on asking for this information. Because when I read it, it didn't match reality. Because the things they wrote about me and my family weren't correct. And I cannot change that. And, and that is something that hurt me. Because if it happens to me, it happens to a lot of families. Because when I start talking to different mothers, and the thing we had in common, because I started a foundation based on only crime, you know, children who are in encounter with the police or justice or went to jail and things like that who are at risk of falling out of society. And then I noticed one thing, even when I had a white mother and I saw her son and the son was biracial, he was on the list too. But when I had a mother whose son was not biracial, the, the, the report was different. It was softer, kinder. And that boy had more chances than the boy with the ethnical background. And that's something that concerned me. Because if you're using those systems to, to target our boys or to, let's say, help, because that's still something we have to talk about. And we're using those systems to, 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 to give, uh, yeah, to, to make reports. And we say this is true. I can tell you. You can throw all the reports away and start all over again because the reports don't match reality. And I don't know whose idea it was that only based on a report you can target a kid because the kid also has, has an environment. The kid has also feelings. The family has also feelings that too many families destroyed about uh, through the system. And I don't know why. I don't know what the reason is. I want. I still want to find out what the reason is and who's controlling those systems. Because if I ask for a question and I start about the use of algorithm, everybody's quiet. I search on the internet. I can hardly find anything about 
the use of those systems because nobody's honest to us with parents because we are fighting the reality but on the other side you feel like a mother that something ain't right from how do they get our information and i think it starts at birth and they start collecting all our information put it in a system and they think that is right and we need to change that and i don't know whose idea it is to use the artificial intelligence right now all facial recognition because that also is a problem because let's say my two sons yeah, one son has an iPhone, they, they, they open their iPhones with facial recognition. But if his brother takes the phone, he can open the phone also. So who's going to decide on, on which kind of facial recognition, what they're going to use? You know, which kind of, uh, uh, how do you say it? Uh, I, I can't find the word, sorry, I'm Dutch. <laughs> what kind of... Uh, things they're going to use, which, which color eyes, how, how they're going to recognize bone structure, because facial recognition is different than DNA using. DNA comes from a human that's unique. You know, even if you get a DNA from the brother, it will say it's not the person, but there will be a difference. But how are you going to do it with facial recognition? You cannot, I'm not, I, I don't think it's a good idea to use artificial intelligence to fight crime. It's still something that needs to be done by humans with common sense with real police work not with cameras and things like that you can use it maybe as a backup to find a car or anything like that but with using it on people i don't think it's a good idea so i think you very absolutely nailed it i mean a very a very strong passionate opening to our discussions today because i think you've pointed out the the difference between using these metrics, these, these sort of arbitrary metrics that you don't know what they are, and using what the person in front of you is saying. So I think uh, the systemic nature is coming through really strongly. I've got lots of questions I want to ask you straight away, Diana, but first I'm going to hand over to Laura. Um, Laura, Fairtrials is looking at the sorts of experiences that Diana's had. So tell me um, a little bit about the examples that you've seen in different EU member states. Um, we've heard from, from Diana what the situation is in the Netherlands, but uh, I'm sure you're seeing it around the EU as well. Um, thank you so much, Jennifer. Um, thank you. I'm very honoured to be here today and share a platform with Diana and Fernando. Many thanks to Osepi and Edri for organising this event and Jennifer for the introduction. Um, let me just start by uh, answering today's question on whether the EU AI Act can fix uh, injustice by saying, yes, it can. Um, the EU can prevent future injustice, provided it prohibits predictive and profiling systems in law enforcement and criminal justice, the systems that Diana just described being targeted by, and that are used to predict, profile, and assess people's risks or likelihood of future criminal behavior. And in addition to that, the EU AI Act needs to include strict safeguards around transparency and accountability for all types of AI and automated decision-making systems. Um, Diana was very compelling in that difficulty in terms of accessing information about why this was happening to her and her sons, and that, that transparency is actually fundamental um, to create, uh, to, to underpin a strong prohibition and strong um, legislation. Um, so we very much want uh, to see the EU take the lead here on setting the standard, and we're not alone in advocating for this. 
earlier this month, uh, together with 45 other organizations, um, including EDRI, we called on the EU to adopt such a ban. And Diana really showed, um, showed us uh, the extent um, of the harms caused by such systems that we, we are asking to be banned. She spoke of families being destroyed, um, of destinies artificially set from birth. Um, she also talked about the being entrapped in these systems. I mean, this account is incredibly powerful um, and needs to be addressed in law. And there are simply no safeguards that can protect uh, people's fundamental rights against um, such harms. And nothing, not security, not uh, innovation, can outweigh and justify such harm. Um, and let me explain now how we reached this ask um, through the research that you mentioned in particular uh, on the different systems in use already in Europe. Um, so the basic premise is that criminal justice system is already causing harm and artificial intelligence systems would just uncontrollably amplify the harm caused. Because as Diana said, her story is not alone, although her courage and the investigation she undertook single-handedly is exceptional. Um, it was very difficult for us to even do this research and document the different examples um, of, of such systems um, already in place in use uh, across Europe. Um, but what we've seen uh, is that in various countries, the Netherlands in particular, also Spain, uh, the UK, um, we see that um, policing is already obviously relying on the gathering of masses and masses of data. And then this data is processed and analyzed so that historical data can be used to make future predictions and can inform a criminal justice outcome or, or decision. And the idea behind the technology is that if you have information about how people from certain social groups or with certain backgrounds behave, then you can somehow predict how an individual within that group uh, or with a similar background will likely behave in future and use that to determine um, you know, future criminality. But very concretely, and, and Diana very much uh, described this, you know, what data is being gathered in the systems we looked at? Of course, there's policing activity, so arrests, for instance, but there's also all sort, you know, or the stop and search, like Diana described of her 11-year-old son, the identity check. You know, all of that activity is data uh, stemming from this activity is brought in. But then we also have all sorts of other data. Um, we have policing data, for instance, um, in relation to victims, uh, people who report uh, being victims of offenses or, or to a close, close to a family member who has been uh, a victim, someone uh, who is alleged to have associations with someone known to the police, um, for instance, will go into these databases but also data that's not related to policing activity at all, like family status, um, very much like Diana described, um, you know, people from a single parent family with an immigrant background or whose parent is in receipt of child benefits. So for example, in the system that we identified in the Netherlands, uh, the police was working with social services to profile young men who are likely to commit crime in the future um, based on whether they had previously been monitored by the police, even if they hadn't even been arrested for anything, um, based also on whether they'd been arrested, again, regardless of whether they'd actually been charged or convicted with anything, um, but also based on whether they had been in care or if they'd had not been present at school or had changed school. So there's a, a lot of data here that's coming in. And, um, and effectively, this data is used to create, to train, to operate these systems. 
And that what's happening is that these systems are reflecting the historical, the systemic, the institutional discrimination which results in racialized people, communities, and geographic areas being over-policed and disproportionately surveyed, questioned, and detained and imprisoned across Europe. Um, so we need to shake off the image that technology is somehow neutral. It's not. Um, and in AI is replicating all forms of discrimination, racism and bias. Um, so for instance, uh, in this top 400 system in the Netherlands that we mentioned earlier, one third of the young men on the system had Moroccan heritage. Um, and this is documented in our, in our report. Um, and, and a, Another common example of how discrimination operates in this data is how seemingly uh, neutral data can act for a proxy for other factors such as race and ethnicity um, is the use of home address or area codes. And what we saw in our research is that um, AI systems will seek out correlations between area codes and risk of reoffending. And in other words, they will identify area codes that have a higher risk uh, uh, residence than others. Um, but we know, again, this is not neutral. For example, Roma are vulnerable to this type of proxy discrimination because in many EU member states, they are reported to live primarily in segregated areas. And all of this has serious, uh, significant effects on judicial outcomes, on the criminal justice process, um, creating, as, as Diana expressed, this self-fulfilling prophecy, the self-confirming bias where these decisions, these predictions really increasingly are used to influence and inform who gets monitored by the police, who gets stopped, who gets searched, who becomes a suspect then in a criminal proceeding. Um, because the use of these systems doesn't stop at policing. It's also used in bail, in prosecution decisions, and in pretrial detention decisions, in sentencing and in probation. And this we documented uh, in Spain, for instance. Um, and they can also lead, and it's very important to emphasize, on non-criminal justice punishment that have also severe consequences, such as the denial of welfare or other essential services, or even the removal of children from their families. And the issue, again, you know, as Diana pointed out, is the lack of transparency that even judges or other decision makers don't even often know how these predictions work. And the prejudicial uh, assumptions and correlations that inform them. So, um, so to, that's why if the EU, the EU now has this opportunity to act, and if it doesn't, these predictive systems will just further expand this net of criminalization, this entrapment of more and more people in the system, because these AI systems go in pair with policy responses to recourse to criminalization to solve any social situation, we just saw it recently again with the COVID-19 crisis, without any evidence that criminalization actually helps, and actually more and more evidence that criminalization does not help, does not solve issues. Um, so we are very concerned about how uh, these systems are just going to um, hardwire discrimination that's already existing in criminal justice system and really increase the reach of this criminal law net um, and uh, and cause more and more harm. So um, to wrap up, um, I think we this reason we are calling for a ban, a ban that needs to be of these predictive systems and a ban that needs to be underpinned by transparency rules to ensure that the prohibition is meaningfully enforced um, and also by accountability mechanisms. 
and the right to an effective remedy, because it is crucial that people affected by these systems and the outcomes of these systems are aware of their use um, and have clear and effective routes to challenge them as quickly as possible and not to be tracked in this surveillance net or, you know, uh, no, the uncertainty of knowing that they probably are trapped without, you know, any um, clear information or knowledge that prevents them from seeking uh, redress uh, and upholding their rights until uh, it's too late to, for any meaningful redress. Thank you. Thank you, Laura, and thank you for highlighting as well, not just the predictive policing aspect. I mean, many people are aware of facial recognition as a technology and that it may indeed be used by the police. But I think fewer are aware of things like sentencing software that actually tells judges what sort of sentences to hand down to people, um, which I think probably many judges would say is not even necessarily what they want either. So we're going to have to talk about this element of whether even the police forces themselves are becoming over-reliant on the technology and whether they want it, whether it's helping them or whether it's actually becoming burdensome in, in, in actual criminal justice, which of course has to take place alongside it. Fernando, these are really strong stories we're hearing there from uh, Diana and Laura. You're in the unenviable position in the Libra Committee of having to decide where the law gets involved in restricting overuse of technologies, while at the same time maybe taking advantage of the, the technology that we have out there that can maybe make police and lives and more law enforcement lives easier and better and hopefully result in a better outcome. But, but where do you draw the line? How is the AI Act progressing? What's happening in the Libra Committee and where are your main areas of concern at the moment? Well, I have to. Good morning. Uh, to say good morning, uh, everybody. It's uh, it's a pleasure to uh, to accept your your kind invitation. Uh, first of all, I have to to start uh, clearly stating that uh, uh, many artificial intelligence technologies uh, poses a number of serious risks to fundamental rights, uh, gender equality, and uh, racial discrimination. The widespread use of facial recognition technologies has particularly alarming consequences for critical human rights issues, uh, fueling mass surveillance and racial profiling. According to the Commission, the European Commission white paper on uh, artificial intelligence and European uh, data protection rules, uh, the processing of personal data for identifying a natural person is prohibited, except uh, under specific conditions. And uh, according to the GDPR, the, the General Data Protection Regulation, uh, data processing should mainly take place for reasons of substantial public uh, uh, interest. We as a group uh, share a common uh, ground that under European Union or national law, the processing of personal data such as facial, uh, facial images by public authorities uh, should not uh, infringe on, on, on fundamental rights. Um, the United Nations Human Rights Council has found that uh, in the absence of robust rights protections, which are institutionally embedded or to oversee uh, the collection estimates uh, and use of such evidence, relevant practices are likely to infringe international human rights uh, uh, law standards. Uh, and uh, along uh, these facts, uh, may I highlight the issue of uh, facial recognition uh, technologies. Facial recognition technologies will uh, jeopardize a number of fundamental rights that are uh, safeguarded under European law. For example, uh, the respect for private life and uh, personal data and the preservation of human dignity 
uh, will be central to the deployment of facial recognition technology in public spaces. Uh, the processing of facial images will violate a person's right uh, uh, to uh, privacy. The biggest problem with the most algorithms used in facial recognition technologies is the um, misidentification of non-white or non-male faces. Inaccuracy and misidentification of facial recognition for non-white groups by, by law enforcement authorities uh, can uh, lead to, to wrongful arrests, charges and, and detention. And in Europe, a lack of regulation of such technologies will bring similar uh, problems exacerbating uh, discrimination. Uh, the stance of the group I belong to, the group of the left in the European Parliament on this issue is that uh, uh, to prevent an infringement of fundamental rights and warranty privacy protection for all individuals, including migrants, women, and people of, of color, there should be a Europe-wide ban or moratorium on the use of facial recognition technology in public spaces. Uh, the Commission has made the development of artificial intelligence and related technologies uh, a top priority, focusing solely on innovation and attracting uh, tech investment uh, in Europe. Uh, but uh, I would say that uh, as backed up by various studies on this issue, uh, we, 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 should call, we should call for a ban or a moratorium as facial recognition is, is prone uh, to inaccuracy uh, discrimination and identity fraud. As the left group in the Parliament, uh, in the European Parliament, uh, we demand a human-centered development of artificial intelligence technology in full compliance with the fundamental rights standards set out uh, uh, in law and the promotion of uh, social inclusion, sustainability and fairness. The first step should be uh, uh, such a fun on facial recognition as the only way um, to preserve our dignity and uh, and rights. I want to, to stress that uh, biometric facial recognition in public spaces is uh, fully unacceptable. In principle, uh, facial recognition should only be used to a limited extent in strictly regulated cases. Respect uh, for fundamental rights is the measure of every constitutional state. We do not want the comparison of biometric facial features to, to gradually become the standard procedure for police work and uh, only what is technically feasible, the facilitation of police work uh, uh, does not justify according to our opinion the automatic use of such a fundamentally invasive uh, uh, technology. Thank you, Fernando. I mean, I think you've pointed there, you mentioned the, the GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation, and under that, we as citizens do have the right to know when a decision that substantially affects our lives is made via an algorithm or via machine learning or via AI. Um, that's the law. Diana, it's maybe not happening in practice. Um, do you think, in principle, whether predictive policing tools could ever be fair? Because, of course, there is racism amongst people. Um, are we putting the blame on the machine more than we need to be? Or is there some sort of way which you think it might be able to work? It could work if the person who's putting in the data is is free from all those things and, and puts the, yeah, the real information in it. And I see it doesn't happen because when I read my own reports, I don't recognize myself. I see it also with other mothers when I read their reports. Uh, somebody put in that the, the mother is slightly retarded. The mother didn't know what was happening to her. 
And I asked her, did you ever took a test? And uh, she said, no, they asked her question. I said, what kind of questions? And she told me the question. So I asked her, uh, when, you, when you answer, in which language do you think? She said, Arabic. I said, that's the problem. Because they ask you a question that doesn't re relate to your culture, to your background, nothing. So when you give answers to a Western question, it will come out differently. And so you're not retarded. But that's what they wrote down. So even the questioning is not fair. Because everything is based on Western ideas, but we forget the culture, the cultural insensitivity that's still in the in those people and the people who are providing those data. And I say a computer is not right because I learned in school in my early days that the, the teacher always told me, I never forget it, uh, the computer is always right. It's on you. You have to put, it's what you put in that will come out. And what's coming out now, it's not okay. So we're still having problems because the the, the, the data is not real, it's not honest, you know, and, and we're loosening and, and, and nobody's gone. And who's going to protect us from this system? Because we're going to lose from the systems right now. And that's, that's my uh, experience. So we're not ready for artificial intelligence as long as the people who are providing the data are not ready also. Where are you going to find a neutral person? Well, it's difficult enough to teach cultural sensitivity to people. I'm sure teaching it to an AI is even more challenging. Laura, um, let's talk about who's teaching these machines because we talk about predictive policing, we talk about law enforcement, and the assumption may be that these algorithms, these AIs, these, these various models that we're talking about are created by law enforcement themselves, but that's often not the case. I'm thinking of things like Clearview AI. They are commercial products that are on the market that are pushed at police forces and said, use this, use this. So there's an incentive, I suppose, there uh, from a financial point of view to increase their use rather than reduce their use. Um, yes, absolutely. And the, there is there is a lot of pressure and including on the EU institutions by to push forward on basis of commercial interests on the grounds of promoting innovation um, and the industry in Europe um, to push ahead uh, with, you know, regulation that enables the development of these technologies. Um, but generally, we know that these technologies are opaque. Uh, we don't know how they're developed. There are some, a lot of the time in, in countries such as in the US, you have uh, intellectual property rights that prevent information about how they're being um, developed uh, and how these algorithmic assessments, you know, what, what's being taught to these to the machine. Um, and it makes it uh, all the more difficult, obviously, to to see how any sort of safeguards or any right to redress could actually effectively uh, be implemented in a way that um, would just deprive any any form of safeguard from, from a, a meaning. And beyond that, I think that, you know, we're also creating a, a system or allowing through the use of these tools um, some form of institutionalized, uh, racialized suspicion and, and, and trapping people into that um, setting um, without them necessarily even knowing what's happening. So, so there is uh, th this is the lack of uh, information, the lack of transparency, um, and in particular, uh, driving forward commercial interests when we're talking about such fundamental uh, 
rights um, and such potential for harm is is just not uh, acceptable as an argument. Um, and there are no legal redress mechanisms that can compensate for that. Well, Fernando, um, Laura's mentioned there that, uh, you know, that, that the, obviously there's these um, companies, these private invested interests. Are you seeing lobbying on this uh, in the Labour Committee? I'm, I'm sure you probably are. Are there different viewpoints, sort of maybe, as you say, defending commercial interests or so-called innovation in these areas that are pushing back against uh, any sort of ban on facial recognition? Well, yes, uh, I would say yes. Uh, there's a strong lobbying on the on the Libby uh, committee, and uh, uh, at uh, I could say that it also happens at the at the AI um, uh, special uh, committee. Uh, you know that uh, the special committee was set up on AI, uh, and uh, there are some other files, reports, and opinions on the go in regards to artificial intelligence. And uh, they are lobbying, of course, on the most controversial issues. And this is uh, causing, I would say, uh, um, uh, a clear uh, positioning of the center-right forces in the parliament along uh, some uh, conservative uh, views on, as regards to artificial intelligence that, uh, uh, that we don't share. And I would say, I'm happy to say that uh, uh, most uh, groups, uh, most progressive groups in the parliament uh, uh, can share at this moment the most uh, controversial issues are um, the, the continuous attempt by, by the right wing groups to undermine the GDPR. Uh, they see it as a narrow limit, and we believe that there, it's a reference we have to to bind and uh, to bind to and re reinforce. And uh, uh, surely that that's a frame, legal frame that would need uh, uh, some uh, reforms. At that. But at the moment, it's a reference we have to bind to and reinforce. They have very little concern as regards to the consequences of the use of artificial intelligence on the realm of uh, of law enforcement. Uh, the, the ban on on face uh, recognition is also key to this, and there's no agreement uh, on that, of course. And um, I would say that they also show a, a, a very uh, bold market focused approach. Uh, um, when I say they, I mean that the right wing forces in the parliament, uh, very influenced by the by the lobby uh, group, uh, but the lobby work uh, that's been done uh, here in, in different com committees and uh, and uh, work uh, places on AI. Um, as I was saying, uh, a market focused approach that stands for a very low level of control uh, of the private uh, private uh, sector, and subsequently, there's a clear gap between. Uh, progressive forces and the center rights approach as regards to the needed public and the strong regulation of uh, artificial intelligence. Uh, center right forces defend a very, very up to market approach and do not care too much about issues like uh, uh, civil liberties and no discrimination that are are crucial for us. As I said before, uh, I have to add that uh, as of today, we are quite happy that we are being able to share a common ground of approach uh, along the, the, the Greens and the SND parliamentary groups. Uh, it's a bit early to talk on the outcome of the works open here in the parliament, but I am confident enough that this collaboration uh, mentioned between progressive forces will create uh, some opportunity windows for a more reasonable and, and the more respectable uh, outcome of uh, of overall liberties at the end of the works. Well, Diana, let me turn to you. Um, 
We we're talking a little bit about the lobbying on this AI law that might might, we don't know yet, ban uh, facial recognition from law enforcement use. Let me play devil's advocate. Do you have any sympathy for the law enforcement agents who might say, but this is a tool, we're, we're dealing with terrible crimes, we're here to sort of police uh, people who are doing wrong, give us the tools we need to do that? But that's not the tool they need. You know, okay. I'm very... The, the problem is they they see these families, uh, let's say something went wrong, the boys damage. We're like collateral damage. We're like guinea pigs for the system. By just destroying families on the way. So you need to, the use of artificial intelligence, I don't mind if you use it to find a car, a missing person. But if you want to use facial recognition, you know, let's say about cosmetic uh, surgery, things like that. How do you got to implant that? You know, use common sense, use your intuition. If you can even uh, see the difference between us in real life, how, how does how do you gonna let a system see the difference between us uh, through a system? Because they say all blacks look like each other, all Moroccan people look like each other. How are you gonna beat that? Are we just collateral damage? I don't think so. I won't well, I allow think... it. I'm sorry. You have to deal with me now. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a formidable challenge, Diana. Thank you. Um, and I think you, you've pointed to something that we do know that in testing, a lot of these systems struggle to identify black faces. They even struggle to identify women's black faces even, even more. We, you, you know, in so-called blind testing, it, they fail badly on this area. Um, Laura, to move it on from simply facial recognition, that's not the only tool we're talking about here. Um, is it in some senses the low-hanging fruit? There are other biometrics, there are other uh, problems we see with algorithmic policing. Could you identify some of those areas as well for me? I know you, you mentioned some at the beginning, but in a little bit more targeted way in what the AI Act might be able to do. Yes, yeah, so our, our focus is very much on these predictive type of, uh, of systems. Um, so the profiling, uh, the prediction of future criminality. Um, and we've seen this used uh, in uh, policing um, in different countries. So in the Netherlands, there are a few systems um, such as the top 600 system, uh, the top 400 and a pro-kid system which targeted uh, children under the age of uh, 16. Um, we also see the use of predictive policing systems in, um, in the UK uh, and also in Germany. So these are all documented in our reports. Um, and, uh, and beyond that, we've also documented uh, some of these systems for, uh, to determine criminal justice uh, uh, outcomes uh, in terms of prosecutorial decisions. So uh, the, the for instance, this has been tried in the UK, um, and uh, and also in determining uh, sentencing and probation. So here, uh, this is the case uh, again in the UK and in Spain, as I mentioned. So um, so we've our our work and our advocacy is target is very much targeted on these types of predictive um, systems. Uh, that at the moment are not uh, adequately addressed in the uh, current version of the AI Act. 
Um, and that's why we see very clear areas where amendments are necessary in terms of an outright ban for these types of predictive systems. And then, as I'd mentioned, uh, in terms of much more robust transparency uh, requirements uh, and also in terms of a redress mechanism. Uh, thank you, Laura. I think uh, I have a couple of questions that have come in from our audience, and I do encourage everyone who's watching online to put your questions and your comments in the chat. Um, one, I think, is, is possibly related to this question of redress, asking how do you envisage dealing with deep fakes that lead to the erosion of a person's integrity and innocence, and societally does this place human rights at risk? I think we're talking here about harms and damage done by, uh, by malicious actors using AI, which is a slightly different question, but I don't know whether, uh, Fernando, you want to address whether or not that's within the scope of the AI Act. Well, I, I do believe that uh, the AI Act uh, should be changed. I think that the, the concern we have to talk most about is uh, discrimination and uh, how it perpetuates uh, all sorts of bias, uh, including ethnic and uh, racial bias, uh, but other forms too, and how it is practically not possible to guarantee that uh, data sets are, are free from bias or how it cannot be removed in a generalized uh, way. And... Uh, we have to keep in mind the issue of uh, facial recognition and how it has to be banned from public space. So the, the, the face is really uh, the only part of our body that we cannot simply cover. So, so facial recognition is the most intrusive uh, scanning you can do in, uh, in public. Uh, Artificial Intelligence Act uh, has uh, this structure based on, the, on risk levels. And maybe that makes sense for a certain number of, of applications. Uh, there's a risk that it will uh, it will fall short. Uh, again, we think that uh, uh, facial recognition that can be used for mass surveillance is not a, just a high risk, but has to be banned. Uh, every artificial intelligence that makes uh, predictions based on uh, human features or behavioral data uh, can be uh, abused. Uh, there should not be uh, there should be no no illusion. Uh, the Artificial Intelligence Act mainly regulates uh, the, the placing on the market or using of uh, artificial intelligence technology products. We should add that uh, it also grants a specific rights and remedies to the people uh, who are subjected to artificial intelligence, in particular when they have uh, no choice. It's not enough to say that uh, GDPR regulates this already or to leave that to, to other uh, specific legislation. We also want to see some rules on the development of artificial intelligence and the companies that develop uh, the products. There should be no development of products uh, where the use in the uh, European Union would be illegal. In the same vein, uh, we are very skeptical of the model of our legislative uh, uh, sandboxes. And on governance and supervision, we are in favor of an European Union system of enforcement. But we have to make sure that the right lessons from GDPR enforcement are learned so that uh, there is real, really able uh, action on European level that cannot be blocked by one uh, supervisory uh, authority. And that all supervisors have sufficient uh, staff and, and resources, of course. Uh, I would say that full transparency of uh, algorithms uh, also to enable public research and scrutiny. Uh, uh, that's that's a basic uh, that's a basic issue. Thanks so much. 
Well, thank you. I mean, transparency is, is clearly one of the ways in which we can shine a light on what's happening. Uh, Diana, what would you like to see in terms of redress? I mean, I'm thinking along the lines of things like, you know, minimum data retention periods, whereby the information in your son has to be deleted, even if they have collected it in the first place, or, or methods to, to try and give you more insight into what's going on. Is there anything that you feel might be useful as a tool for, for, for mothers like yourself to, to push back against the system? Now, first, we want all our information about our sons. And after the period, we want it deleted. It never gets deleted. It's always on paper. Because I, I went in an encounter, a small encounter, and they all uh, brought up all my information again. I was like, that. how did you get that? And where, why it's still in the system? And and they don't, they use the data to, to also target uh, the future boys and, and I don't want that and it hurts because it's not uh, the real information so I want their data to be erased but it's impossible they say it's not they say nothing they say all oh, is all secretive and everything and I want transparency how did my son get on the list I know now how he got on the list but I want this all information also be available for every mother and 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 every uh, let's say father, parents, the caretakers to be to have access to this information. Because if we ask for the report, they say, "Oh, it's too much work," or "Oh no, we have to wait," because it's the keeping our data to to use it for future boys and girls also. So I want all the information. I want it. We must access it. We don't get access to our own information. Laure, um, we're talking there about uh, access to information, transparency, what could be maybe done in the AI Act. Um, but as Fernando also mentioned, there are other tools. We already have rules around data retention. We already have the GDPR. We are looking at questions of new laws around e-evidence and so on. Um, do you think the AI Act is going to be the right instrument to, to deal with all these problems? Do we need more horizontal thinking? Um, what's your view on what really can be done at EU level, especially when you consider that some issue of defence, policing, national security is an actual member state competency. It's down to the national governments rather than something to be dictated from Brussels. Um, thank you, uh, Jennifer. Yes, I think um, that there is a lot more that the AI Act could and should do because um, there are some mechanisms, as you pointed out, with the GDPR, for instance. But here, when um, these sorts of uh, criminal justice decisions and outcomes coming out of AI systems or, you know, automated decision-making systems of profiling um, emerge, they have immediate impact. A person will be arrested, might be deprived of their liberty, might face pretrial detention. So we need to have clear routes for challenge and an immediate challenge to stop immediately any restriction, unlawful restriction to liberty, to the right to liberty, um, so that the person can be released, for instance, when the person has been misidentified, for instance, or is simply um, caught up uh, because of various uh, past police reports um, and, and pretrial detention, for instance, uh, imprisonment is not uh, justified strictly on, on the grounds of the uh, of national legislation. And so we need in, in the EU uh, Act 
to have um, clear routes for challenge and redress for individuals who are attempting to contest or challenge the decisions that stem from uh, these types of systems. Uh, and that will go through, through disclosure, because as long as you don't have information about uh, the basis and the grounds for your arrest or your detention, you won't be able to challenge those grounds. And so I would add, you know, as, as Diana said, we need uh, information, we need access to information, um, but we also need to be able to challenge that information and have it uh, removed as quickly as possible because this has very severe consequences and immediate consequences on people's right to liberty. Thank you very much, Laura. I, I, I'm, I'm, we're, we're sort of talking around the same subject over and over again, I know, because it's very uh, frustrating trying to get to the bottom of this. But I have a question in, Fernando, for you, specifically from Johannes Alfeld, saying, aside from the big multinationals, um, who is lobbying the EP most intensively? Is it law enforcement organizations or private security companies? Um, I know you've, you've touched on this already, but um, if you could answer that for Johannes, please. Well, I cannot offer very uh, um, particular answers uh, on the side that we as a group of, of, the, of the left, uh, I, have, uh, I have to say that uh, we do not uh, get uh, too much, uh, too much uh, lobbying. I think that, uh, well, lobbying uh, as regards to to, uh, to the multinational uh, enterprises and uh, uh, pr private uh, private sectors, I think that uh, they know that uh, uh, we uh, have uh, quite uh, a bold positions on some key uh, points that uh, uh, make not so much uh, room for uh, for lobbying and. Uh, uh, therefore, uh, it's a, it's quite a, a low level lobbying the one we we can we can receive. But it's uh, but as I, but as I said before, it's quite uh, clear that this this lobbying is is happening uh, uh, particularly uh, uh, as regards to the uh, center right uh, groups that uh, uh, bring uh, sometimes uh, quite similar positions uh, uh, to the committees and working groups as regards to. To central points, I I mentioned uh, I mentioned uh, before some of them uh, could be more political uh, or more uh, political culture uh, focused, like uh, the issue of law enforcement and, and some others. But it's quite clear that uh, they are uh, uh, getting that uh, that lobbying uh, uh, pressure on the on the side of uh, of uh, the market approach of the uh, artificial intelligence uh, uh, regulations and work uh, being done uh, here uh, in the in the parliament uh, that's quite clear uh, in in uh, in the case of some center left center right sorry uh, uh, groups that are more, much more concerning uh, in uh, uh, concerned in de defending uh, uh, that uh, I would say corporate uh, approach of the of the future development of artificial uh, uh, intelligence that uh, in the in some other realms that are uh, really uh, crucial for us uh, as, as as well I would say. Over the, the influence and consequences of AI uh, to overall overall uh, liberties. 
uh, that's the the situation uh, uh, now and uh, well it's quite uh, it's quite uh, good to be on the side of uh, left politics here at least in the, the good in the in the European Parliament uh, because as I said before um, the the lobbying from uh, corporate uh, interests uh, we, we receive is a is a clear uh, low very a very low one. I think it's, uh, you've made your position clear, so perhaps you're a lost cause to those who are lobbying the opposite. Um, a final wrap-up. We're, we're right at the end of the time for this panel, and I know it has been far too short. Um, but, Diana, what's your final takeaway? I mean, this is about structures of power, and those who have it will continue to use it. So, in a, very, in a quick one phrase or one sentence, what's your call to the policymakers? Ooh, <laughs> I don't know. I just... Don't use it yet. It's too it's too tricky. You're gonna hurt a lot of people with it. And Thank a lot you. of families uh, with <laughs> Yeah. Uh Laure, uh, aside from listen to people like Diana, what's your what's your call to the uh the policymakers? Well, definitely listen to Diana and um, enter the harm that this is causing. There's it's just as Diana said, it's too dangerous. Um, to be trapping people in this criminal uh, surveillance net um, that is created by technology. Um, and even you mentioned uh, the structures of power and even if policymakers um, don't, uh, might not be representative of the communities that are uh, trapped and targeted, um, they need to feel concerned uh, because the harm that this is causing to people is not consistent with what we want for Europe, for an inclusive and diverse Europe. So um, we really need to take strong action on the e with the EU AI Act um, and ban these types of inherently dangerous uh, uh, procedure um, systems that can't be remedied through uh, through safeguards, for instance. Thank you. And Fernando, I'm just going to ask you in, in, a, in a quick word, are you optimistic about the outcomes of how the AI Act will look in the end? Well, I would say yes. I cannot uh, assure uh, what the final outcome uh, uh, will be. But, but as I said before, uh, there's uh, quite a, a good atmosphere uh, in regards to the progressive groups of, uh, of the parliament that uh, I could bring some, uh, some good... Uh, uh, opportunities as regards to that uh, uh, to that outcome. I I believe that uh, um, the concern we have to talk most about uh, is, is discrimination. Uh, how uh, a wrong use of artificial intelligence perpetuates uh, perpetuates all sort of uh, of uh, bias and beyond uh, ideological uh, or political uh stances i think that that is the 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 point we have uh, uh, to preserve the most and uh, that is the uh, the point that we are trying uh, uh to to work about in the in the artificial intelligence and related uh, committees and special uh, work groups here in the parliament well thank you very much and to all three of you do 